Uh, I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And as you turn there, I do want to confess something to you. Um, some of you probably don't even necessarily pick up on these kind of things, but um, I actually told you something untrue last week. I told you today would be our last sermon in First Peter, but I was confused with like dates and times and things. And so it's today and then one more next week. Okay, that was on my conscience. I woke up literally at like 11.30 um, after I'd just fallen asleep and I thought, oh, I messed that up. So I needed to tell you. So I also thought you'd think that was funnier than you did right then. But First uh, Peter chapter five, and we're going to read these words carefully and slowly. I'll offer you a few thoughts from them, and uh, we will prepare our hearts to celebrate communion together. We're going to read from verse one down to verse seven. Here's what Peter says. Spirit breathes, goes like this. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, at the reading of your word, we respond by saying thanks be to God as an acknowledgement. Lord, that we need to hear your voice. A lot of voices, Lord, but yours is the one that we can't live without. So we ask in your kindness and in your mercy and by the power of your spirit that you would take these words in your word, the words that I prepared, and would you use them to great effect in our hearts and in our souls, in the lives of our leaders, in the lives of Grace Fellowship, we pray, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I have been told that there are a certain kind of people in this world that really, and you might, not, you might be one of them this afternoon, that really likes to know before you enter into a situation 
what you can expect. I've heard of these people. Now, now personally, I think, what's the fun in that? (laughs) But if you are one of those people that like to know what to expect, then tonight is your night. Really, last week was your week, too. Because the Apostle Peter has reached a section in this letter where he is talking about expectations. So last week, he talked about how, as Christians, suffering is to be expected. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. Suffering is to be expected by God's people. And then tonight, he actually talks to his hearers about what they can expect and what is expected of their leaders. Now, this is naturally kind of heavy on my heart because I preach this as a church leader, as a pastor. And it's a little vulnerable to preach a sermon on your job description with the people listening and evaluating and thinking about it. So in other words, you have the opportunity to listen in on the Apostle Peter talking to me and talking to Grace Fellowship's leaders, whether that's our elders, whether that's deacons, whether that's home group leaders, whether that, for reasons I'll explain later, whether that's kids ministry core teachers, people who who are in leadership at a church, Peter is going to talk to them. And in doing so, he's going to be talking to you in light of what he says to them. So this is a hard text. And I really want to make sure you know kind of where I'm going with this as we begin. So there's really three sections of this text. First of all, there is the instruction that Peter is going to give to the church's leaders. And we'll take that in. It's a strong word. And then he's going to turn his attention to non-leaders in the church. It's an equally strong word, though it's shorter. And then thirdly, he's going to hold out a promise for all of us. And in doing so, I think there's really one main thing that Peter wants you to hear, that the Spirit might want to speak to your heart. It's the main thing I want to walk away from. This is like the sermon in a sentence. I think the main thing here is that you will be very glad, very glad that you took the humble road. Maybe to add to that, you can take a humble road. You're free to take a humble road. So to arrive at that main idea, let's take a look. Look with me first at verse 1, Peter's instruction to the church's leaders. Look at what he says. So I exhort, the word exhort is a strong word. I plead. I'm asking you. I'm charging you. I'm serious about this. I'm begging you, I'm exhorting you, the elders among you. Now, the word elders here is, is interesting. I want to explain quickly. It's, it's very likely at the time of Peter's writing 
that something like a formal leadership structure with a formal office called eldership wasn't quite fully formed yet. Think of it like wet cement. The ideas were there, but it wasn't exactly fully formed. So when we hear these instructions to the elders, we'd be wise to think a little deeper. I mean, Peter's not not talking to formal elders like at Grace Fellowship. He's doing that and then even more than that. He's talking about leadership in general at the church, the recognized leaders of the church. This is, could be elders, think deacons, think your home group leader. Take these words and apply them to people who lead in your church, okay? I mean, he's talking about me. He's talking about Grace's ministry team. He's, he's talking about the range of leaders. Here's what he says. As a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. So Peter leads his instruction with humility here. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I'm with you. I'm in this with you. I've been there. I'm there. I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow leader in the church. I'm not better than you. I'm begging you as someone who understands the challenges of leading. He's a witness of the suffering of Christ. Remember, Peter walks along Jesus and he sees Jesus suffering. He's a witness to the suffering of Jesus in his own body. In the book of Acts, we learn that he's imprisoned and beaten. Okay, he's, he's leading with humility. He's exhorting, pleading, begging with humility. And he's leading, exhorting, and begging with humility. And here's the imperative. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The call, the command is for leaders in the church. Me, formal leaders, leaders in the church. Shepherd. Shepherd. Now, the idea of shepherding is a massively important concept in the Bible. It's a huge idea in the Old Testament. It's a very big part of the promises of the prophets, which I'll say more about in a second. It's built in the fabric of things like the Psalms, Psalm 23. Okay, it's an idea that's taken up by the Lord Jesus himself in his ministry. It's an idea that Peter is pressing home right now, shepherd. Now, now what does that mean? What does it mean to shepherd? Well, in the New Testament sense, the word shepherd means at least the following things and even more, but I'll lay out a few. The idea of shepherd would imply protection. Protection from predators, protection from things like disease, harsh conditions that would not promote the sheep's flourishing. The idea of shepherding has this concept of guiding and leading. The sheep need to move. They can't stay there. And and somebody's got to sort of coax them along, guiding, leading. The idea of correction, a staff would have to grab one by the neck and turn them a different way. It has the idea of living among and living with in close proximity on the equal plane as the sheep. It has the idea most certainly, prominently, of feeding, nourishing, providing the way to safe pastures by which the sheep can graze and eat and be nourished. Shepherd, it's all those things and it's even more. Now, a pretty famous pastor whose name I won't mention 
has made a big deal recently about the concept of, of pastors being pastors, therefore pastors being shepherds, is kind of an antiquated idea that we sort of need to get rid of. And what I'm telling you is opposite of that. It's a very ancient, antiquated idea that we need to grab more of, grab hold of to greater degree. I think that person is wrong on the basis of what Peter's saying here. So shepherd, and then there's three qualifying statements about what this shepherding ought to look like, okay? So look with me. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. First, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. What does Peter mean? Do it willingly, not under compulsion as God would have you. Well, I'm gonna be honest with you all. I'm a pastor. Okay, I've been in some form of pastoral work since the fall of 2004, 17 years. There are times where I feel that now that I've done pastoral work for 17 years, I really don't have any other skills. So what would I actually do? So I guess I'm stuck doing this. And that can bleed into a, God, I guess I just sort of am called to this and I guess I kind of like have to do it. And Peter's saying that it's a wrong way of thinking. Do it willingly. Remember the good shepherd, Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus didn't have to do the things? He did them willingly. He said, no one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. See, to shepherd in the way of Jesus is to take up the call as God would have you with joy. Not under compulsion, not because you have to. So not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Here's the second thing, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now this is gonna be hard for you to maybe imagine, but in the world of Peter's day, there were people who took up positions of leadership in churches And they did that for shameful reasons. They knew that financially they could sort of gain. They could have people give and they could have access to that money. And and it's, it's, it's an ancient thing. And I was sort of joking when I said it's hard for you to imagine because can't we just imagine it? We see it all the time. It's very much a thing that happens. He says, don't do it for shameful gain both then and now, but do it eagerly. The idea of doing it eagerly has to do with the idea that that you would do it for free. That's how much you're just eager to serve God's people. I'll be honest again, I'm a pastor. I love the work I do as a pastor. It gives me joy. I would do it for free. I'd really rather not do it for free. really rather not do that. Look at this third thing. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Examples of godliness, maturity, 
examples of the fruit of God's spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, not domineering. Again, it was an ancient problem and it's a current problem that there are people who take up leadership in church for the wrong reasons. They do it for their own self-absorbed reasons, so much so that they become domineering. In other words, the power of being a pastor is something that they like. And they begin to abuse it. I'm aware of the fact that being a pastor is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. But the call is to embrace that in a way that makes you come low in humility, that causes you not to have kind of a swagger about you because you're the powerful pastor person, but to have a little bit more of a stagger because of the weight and depth of that calling. The writer to the book, or the the writer of the book of Hebrews, he writes to the Christians, and and the writer of Hebrews says to, to Christians, He's talking to Christians and he's telling them to submit to their leaders. And it goes on to say, because these leaders are the caretakers of your souls for whom they will give an account. It's hard for me to begin to explain to you how weighty that feels in my heart and my soul. And the idea that don't be domineering over those in your charge, what we probably see there is something of a structure that was beginning to develop in the early church where certain leaders had authority and power and, and hopefully charge over a certain amount of members. Sort of like the way at Grace Fellowship, home group leaders care for a certain amount of Grace members. That was beginning to form. And according to, to Peter here, You don't take up that with a domineering sense. According to the writer of the book of Hebrews, that you're the overseers of people's souls for whom you will give an account. Y'all, what that actually means in practical terms, and I believe this so strongly, I cannot even begin to explain to you. But there is going to become a day where I will meet the Lord Jesus. And he will have a conversation with me and he will say things to me like this. He will say, hey, Joel, David Coggin, he was in your care. Tell me about that. And I will have to have an answer for that. Or the Lord will say to me, Whitney Blazing, she was in your care. Tell me how that went. I really believe that conversation is literally coming from me, okay? I think it's actually gonna happen in real time and in real space. That's supposed to bring a leader low. Now, in light of these charges, not under compulsion, but willingly, not under shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but acting as an example, I wanna just point this at your heart and offer for you what I think will be a healing balm that soothes, okay? If you have ever been at a church and you became sideways with those leaders or things did not go well or you were wounded or you were hurt by those leaders 
And those leaders took up a posture. And the reason you were hurt is because those leaders took up a posture that's opposite of what Peter is calling leaders to. I want you to hear me say that the problem was not you, it was them. It was them. I hope you hear that as like a healing medicine. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Jeremiah and he says to these leaders who had led God's people astray and wounded them and not protected them and not fed them and hurt them and domineered over them and were greedy and shameful in the way they did things. The Lord says to those leaders in Jeremiah chapter 23, I promise you, you can go read it. The Lord says, and I quote, I will attend to you. Now, the living God of all things, when he tells you he's going to attend to you, that's not good. That's bad. It's a serious thing. And he says, and I'm going to replace you with humble shepherds who will shepherd my people. And one day there will be one of these shepherds who will be like a righteous branch from the line of David. He's talking about Jesus. See, leaders of churches are supposed to hear these words and they're supposed to see that they will be so, 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 so glad that they took a humble road. I want to take a minute also to just talk about if there's those of you here tonight that might aspire to lead in the church. There are people here who want to be pastors one day. There are people here at Grace Fellowship that want to, maybe you, don't, you can't even explain it. Just for some reason, you just feel called to lead God's people. I want to say three things to you. Number one, the beautiful thing of this passage is that if you aspire to being a leader in the church, you don't have to be spectacularly gifted. You just have to have a humble posture. Secondly, the horrifying thing of this passage is if you're spectacularly gifted, God doesn't care. I mean, he's God. How are you going to impress God? He's not that easily impressed. The third thing I want to say to you is that he's promised by the power of his spirit to be doing sanctifying work in your heart and in your soul to produce in you the kind of character that is described in these pages. If you aspire to lead in a church, have hope. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is a way of saying, if you will take a humble posture, you will be so, so, so very glad that you did. that's instruction to leaders. Shepherd, but shepherd like Jesus shepherds, and you will be glad that you did. Be glad you took a humble road. Now he moves in verse five to instructions to non-leaders. So if you're not a leader at Grace Fellowship, here's the words for you. Verse four, I mean, sorry, verse five. Likewise, you who are younger. 
Now, now younger here doesn't really mean age, though it can tend to be that way. It can tend to be that church leaders are a little older, okay, especially at a church like Grace Fellowship where we're very young. But it really not is talking about older, younger in terms of age. It's talking about the idea of seniority. There are those who are, are seniority and calling. There are those who've, who've been placed in the position, in a higher sort of position of leadership. And there are those who aren't in that yet, maybe aspiring to, but they're not in that yet. Okay, so now he's talking to non-leaders. And to the, you can, we can take it like this. Likewise, you who are not leaders, you guys who are not leaders yet, and then the call is really simple, be subject to the elders. Now, be subject or be submissive or submit is an important word in First Peter. So let me remind you, if you haven't been here, be subject has to do with submit, yield to, go along with, go with the flow of, it can be so strong as to say cooperate with or even obey. The idea is if your leaders posture themselves like is described here, would you just go with them? The writer of the book of Hebrews says, don't make their life any harder than it already is. Just go with them. And let me just say honestly, that is a hard call, isn't it? Because let's just be honest, we hate that. We hate subjecting and surrendering and yielding. We don't love doing it to the people in our own families and our homes and our workplaces, and we usually don't want to do it to somebody at the church. Don't we have such an interesting relationship with authority? Like we want leadership. We want to be guided. We know we need it, but man, we hate it and resist it, don't we? I mean, the original sin in the garden is Adam and Eve being given the invitation to be alive and yielded to God. And they say, no, thanks. We can, the serpent says, you can be like God. And they take that up. But the idea is if your leaders will posture themselves like this, it should be doable that you can yield to them. Doesn't say you have to agree with them on every little thing, but you can yield to them. And this is where I want to apply somewhat of a medicine that heals, but it might sting a little bit. If you've ever been in a church and things got difficult and sideways, but your leaders were these humble leaders, then maybe it wasn't them, maybe it was you. <laughs> But what Peter is saying here is if you'll take a humble road, you'll be so glad that you did. And the reason you'll be so glad you did is because of this third thing, the promise. So we talked about the instruction for the leaders. We talked about the instruction to the non-leaders. And then finally, the instruction, or I'm sorry, the promise held out for all. Verse five, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then here it is for everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God, this is God we're talking about. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As I thought about that this week, it gave me chills. It made tears well up in my eyes. 
the God of the universe, the living Lord of all things, according to this text, will actively be at work against you if your posture is pride. Actively. He will actively thwart your plans and in your intentions, your, 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 your words, your actions. He will actively work against you if you're prideful. And he does that because he's gracious, because pride destroys a person. Pride destroys a heart. And he's so kind, he will oppose that so you're not destroyed. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So as we prepare to celebrate at this table, I want to end by outlining the graces that are available for the humble. According to this text, there are two things. Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. Grace number one for the humble is exaltation. You know, it's so hard to explain what Peter actually means when he paints this rich picture of the humble being exalted, but it's a major biblical idea. The humble will be exalted. Think of the woman, Hannah, who was humble and barren, and she was exalted. Think of the Virgin Mary. She was humble, but she was exalted. This is what God does. He likes to take the humble and to raise them up. It means, among other things, but very practically speaking, that you will be exalted. (laughs) Which means there is coming a day where you will have a resurrected body in a new heavens and new earth. Sin and sorrow will be no more. Death will have been swallowed up forever. The scriptures teach that in that moment, you will see Jesus's face. It will be the face you've looked for in all the worst and best times of your life, and you'll see it. The the apostle John says, you will see him as he actually is. His name will be on your forehead, which means that the work of completing you will be done. He'll own you fully. What a day that will be. He'll own you fully. And in that moment, you'll be surrounded by worshipers, the scriptures teach us, from every tongue and tribe and nation. And when you're there on that day and all things are made new and right, what Peter's trying to get you to see is in that moment, you'll be so, so, so glad you took a humble road. And you won't regret it for a second. Every single time you've ever taken the humble road, you will not regret it a second. Every moment you've ever taken the humble road, you'll realize that was the most alive you'd ever been in your whole life. You'll be so very, very glad you took the humble road. What I want you to know is you are free to take the humble road. You're free to be alive. Let's pray. One of these things are hard to talk about. They're easier to talk about from a pulpit than to actually live tonight in your home. Lord, in our neighborhoods, and our workplaces, and the things we'll face tomorrow. Lord, we thank you for the promise of this text, not just for exaltation, but the second promise for care, that you will care for us. 
that you will care personally for the humble. There is no greater news in all the world than that you will take up personal care for the humble. Every time we're afraid of being humble, you will care for us. So are those promises that you'll exalt us and that you'll care for us. I pray that they would give us great strength. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.